Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Hey, everyone. On today's episode, I'm really excited to talk with my guest, Bill Skeens, who is a founder in the food and beverage industry, an industry veteran who has been doing this for a long time, to share his top 10 lessons learned from starting a food business. In addition to starting his own company, Bill now advises dozens of other founders along their journey to help navigate this crazy industry that we're in. Welcome, Bill. Hey, thanks very much, Jordan. Appreciate it. So to start off, I'd love for you to give a quick overview of your kind of background at Prairie City and kind of what you're doing now. Sure. So in I was I've been in the food business for over 40 years and first with 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 Sara Lee Bakery and sales and marketing, various different sales and marketing positions. And then I left and started a company in 1994 called Prairie City Bakery. It was bootstrapped. It was me and my partner. We started it from scratch. And what we did is we sold frozen thaw and sell bakery goods to the retail convenience stores, drug drug drugstore chains, and also food service. So we had 125 different SKUs. We had about 30,000 customers, about 450 distributors across the country. But what was interesting about our, our company is I did everything a a typical manufacturer did from product development to get it to market, but I outsourced 100% of the manufacturing. So we had 11 different co-packers manufacturing these 125 different items. We did branded and private label. And so I sold it in May of 2019 to Little Debbie Snacks, which is McKee Foods. And so now what I do full-time is mentor entrepreneurs. I've talked to about 90 different entrepreneurs in the last three years, and they're just, I just love entrepreneurs and I love mentoring and and happy to help anybody out. I absolutely love that. And I know along the way, you've learned a ton from operations to sales and the entire gamut. And from that, you put together some lessons kind of learned from starting a, a business. So I love to to jump into those. And I, I love your first one, which is don't fall in love with the product or concept because before you have tested it. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So, you know, every every uh, new business starts with an idea. So you have an idea and you think that it is a great idea, but you you got to prove it. You got to, you know, does the product have a reason to exist? Is it Does it fill in a void or a need in the marketplace? And is the market big enough for you to go after? Because, you know, if it's not big enough and, and you know, there's a lot, there's lots of businesses, lots of business out there. And many times it is big enough, particularly if you're going to focus in on a niche, but you just want to make sure that it has a it has a selling proposition out there. Because the reality is one thing people do is they test it with their, they go to their friends and their relatives and your friends will buy any, and your relatives will buy anything once because they want to encourage you. They want to help you, whatever. But you got to make sure that it doesn't have anything invested in you that doesn't know you can see the value and understand the product and is willing to pay you for the product or the service that you that you have that's that's out there. So that's that's really key. So the other thing to do is understand the difference between price and value because price is what you get paid, but value is what you deliver and what you get. And the same product can have different value depending on the venue. 
and you can just see it in I, I I'm a sports fan so I go to Wrigley Field a hot dog at Wrigley Field can be seven bucks a hot dog at you know when you go to the grocery store you can get eight you can get eight of them you know for four bucks so you know you need to know what the what the price and the value is of the product or the or the or or what you're delivering you know I love those and the point about kind of getting someone to buy once is easy to gain them by twice as hard is uh, really key. And that's why I tell entrepreneurs, right? When you go out and sell your initial product, see how many people buy twice, because a lot of people yes. will try it. And even your mom won't buy it a second time unless uh, she knows you really need it. <laughs> if yeah. she doesn't like and, it. And the second sale is the most important because there's plenty of people that will try something once, but the second sale is somebody that you finally have a customer. Well, let's talk about customers a little bit as well, because I know a lot of founders will go out and try to get new customers and it's tough finding the right ones who are actually their customers for the business. So talk about your perspective on that. So one of the things I talk about is the customer is the king and you need to focus all your efforts on getting new customers. I mean, one of the problems that I see a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs do is they do a lot of different things, but they don't focus enough on the customer. And again, if you don't have a customer and somebody willing to pay you, you don't have a business, you have a hobby. And nobody is doing this to do it as a hobby. They're doing it because they want to produce sales. Now, it might sound it might sound simple, it might sound brutal, but you know, all of your activities and all of the activities of your team has to be focused in on a on a customer. And when I worked in a in a big, I worked for Sara Lee, and we had a big conference room, and and you know we would have I'd have meetings, and and people would come in the room, and they said, "Who's sitting here?" I said, "No, don't 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 worry about it. Who's sitting there? Oh no, somebody's coming. Who's sitting there?" Anyway, so they would come in, and I'd start the meeting. They go, "Wait a second, who's in that seat that you wouldn't let anybody sing sit at?" And I said, "That is for the customer." Because the customer will always have room at the table as long as I'm running the business. And so what, ha- what, what you have to do is you have to focus on the customer and make sure that their, that their needs are being met. So here's where I think a lot of entrepreneurs get tripped up is how much do you change your product based on what a single customer or maybe two or three customers say versus staying true to your original vision and maybe finding a different customer to sell to. Where's the balance there? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, first of all, you have to, you have to listen to your customers and you have to do, you have to, you have to fill a need that they have. And obviously if one customer has an opinion, every, first of all, everybody has opinions, but if one person has an opinion, you don't want to change or even two people, you don't want to change your entire product line for two people because there's there's many people that are very vocal about what their what their interest is. And the reality is, is that you can't change it for everything, but you should listen to the customer because they will give you clues and hints about what works for the overall marketplace. You know, one story that kind of comes to mind as well is with my product I ran T-Squares, we surveyed our customers, this is maybe three or four years into the journey, on why they buy their product, because we had the whole mission on, as you remember, on an energy bar to help people stay fueled and focused throughout the day. And when we surveyed our customers, about 50% of them said that they actually did not feel the energy benefit at all, and they just really liked the taste and the texture of the snack. Mm -hmm. And the other half 
ate them because they felt like they had a kind of increased energy from, from consuming it. But those are two different reasons that two completely different customers are buying it for. And it was important for us to know because then we said, hey, if we make a change, we know that it's going to affect about half of our customers. And sure how we make that change, you know, is for us to decide and we can kind of test which of the audiences might be best moving forward. But if we didn't know that, then we would make decisions in, in the dark and, and maybe look back six months later and say, wait, why did we have this, this big change in our product or our customer base without knowing it up front? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think knowing, knowing what you're selling and, and what the value is, what your unique selling proposition is, I mean, you you can touch on different customer bases that are out there, but you know you need to figure out what what you're selling and where it fits in the overall marketplace is because, you know, what your business you know find out what your business does best and and one of the things that happened to me and I I had a I had a little bit of a similar circumstance when I first started out we we had a product called Muffin Tops which was just the top of the muffin, and I made the product and I. I, you know, I had left my company, I had left Sara Lee and I'd started this company and I went out there and, and, you know, my, I took it to a food broker that used to represent me at Sara Lee. And I said, well, what do you think? And he said, you want my real opinion? And I said, yeah. And he said, it tastes like crap. And I said, what? And he goes, taste it. And I taste it. He goes, it's dry. It doesn't have enough, fla- it doesn't have enough flavor. It doesn't. And I said, you know what? You're right. And I had to throw away the entire first run because I was so enamored by the fact that I had come up with this product and that it had my our name on it and things like that. I didn't spend enough time actually saying was the product any good. And when I ended up, it, it cost me about $8,000 to throw that product away. Mm-hmm. But that was a very valuable lesson to learn because from that point on, we had a one word mission statement and that was wow. And if it didn't wow us, it wasn't going to wow the consumer. And so, you know, the the thing that you need to do is to make sure your product is better than anything else that's out there so that people, you know, I never wanted to have to apologize for my product. And when I tasted that first round of product, I said, whoa, this isn't going to work. I need to come up with products that are absolutely wow. I love that idea of wow. And I know firsthand that as an entrepreneur, creating a food product and getting into market takes so much work and a lot of times some compromise that at the end of the day, you're kind of like, let's just get it out there. But if that product doesn't wow, then that customer definitely won't come back. And in fact, I just tried a product today from a someone that I know in the industry. And I was like, hey, they have a new product. Let me try it out. And the flavor just wasn't right. And I know why the flavor wasn't right. It was in kind of an aseptic pack and and needed a little bit more citric acid to to kind of make it last and extend the shelf life. But I could taste that right away. And the taste was off-putting. And I thought, wow, customers, not wow, but customers won't come back if they they try this, even though I know how hard it was to kind of get that product to market. So you got to make sure that even though the process is difficult, you don't compromise on, on the taste and quality. Well, and this this food broker said to me, he said, you know, the people that try you out early are the early adopters. Those are the people that will try. If you turn them off, they're never coming back. And the reality is you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. So, you know, as part of that as well, I know a lot of times founders will kind of wait until everything is perfect or they have all the answers to even launch the product. Um but that doesn't always happen either, right? So you have to kind of maintain that balance of maybe being curious, but not 
not so perfect? Well, and I think one of the things to realize is, you know, when you start off, you don't, there's lots of things you don't know, and you will never have all the answers. And I think that you don't have to have all the answers, but you have to be willing to ask the questions because you can get to the answer. You can you can find the person that has the right question. I, I joke that, you know, when I started the business, it was 1994. Google hadn't even been invented. And so there wasn't any you know, massive site I could type in a question and have somebody come up with an answer. But now I think it's very valuable to go to Google. I think it's very valuable to look at other people that have, have paved the road for success in the future. I think find somebody else that has done what you want them to, that you've wanted to do out there, model their success. The, the other thing I'll say, and you touched on it a little bit earlier, is you don't want perfect to be the enemy of success. Now, I wanted the product to be absolutely great, but the reality is, you know, if I thought, you know, the, the coloring was slightly off on the packaging or whatever, I'm like, man, we got to launch this product. I can change something down the road. And, and again, I'm not, my first product I came out with that was, that I rejected was nowhere close to being perfect. So I had to make a decision, but I'm just saying is, is that if you're, if you're the type of person that's a perfectionist and you won't do anything until the product is absolutely, or the packaging or whatever, you know, I would say if we're 98% there, we're going. And, you know, so I, I just think that that's critical that you don't let perfection get in the way of success. Yeah. And I love that mindset of continuous improvement as well. At T-Squares, we came up with this mantra of being on a quest where this entire journey was on a quest for improving ourselves and helping our customers improve themselves. And it was steeped in this notion of continuous improvement. And it even went down to like how we ran our business and that every you know, every month or every quarter, we were looking to say, how can we improve our processes? How can we make things better? How can we listen to our customers and, and do more? Yeah. And that, and that is the key because one of the things that we, I tried to instill in everybody at Prairie City Bakery is to have a commitment to continually improve, to always find a way to do it better. And I can remember a circumstance where we had this beautiful display that our customers loved and things like that. And the the one of the customers said, you know, it's fine and it 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 fits the product. But he said, you're looking at the side of the cookie. He said, I if I could tilt it and show it, I could I could merchandise it better. And I went to the I went to the guys in the in the office and I said, I want to change this display. They said, you're crazy. These people love it. And I said, yeah, but I think we can make it better. And the reality is, we've made it better, and and we had tens of thousands of these out in the marketplace. Because people knew, because people with food, they eat with their eyes. And you want people to see the product, touch it, feel it, and then buy it from that standpoint. So, you know, and I, I think the other thing that that happens is, you know, you are going to get complaints and you're going to hear from, from customers. If you get that, it's a goal. You know, a lot of people hated to hear complaints. I love to hear complaints. Not, not that I love to know that we did something wrong. But it was able. It was allowed me to address that with the the customers that were out there, and so I would always look at it as an opportunity to learn from it, take care of it, and then also turn a complaint a complainer in, into an advocate. Because the same people that complain are the same people that, if you take care of the problem, they will they will sing your praises online or to other customers. 
No, that's so true. I, I've lived that myself where we had customers that maybe a product got damaged in shipment and we sent them a free, another free replacement with no questions kind of asked. And they were so excited they bought more than they originally ordered. And so yeah, you took turn those customers around. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I know you kind of been running through these, which I love. Number six that you have in your lessons is really trying to add value every day. Can you share about that? Yeah. So what what would happen is I would look at myself in the mirror every morning and being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely job. And, you know, I would look at myself in the mirror every day and said, what am I going to do today to add value to Prairie City Bakery? Because not every day was I out there selling. I had other things to do, but I would always try to add value. At the end of the day, I'd look at myself in the mirror and I'd say, what did I do today? And sometimes I hadn't done anything. And so one of the key things is to always look to add value and to try to instill that into your employees. And so how you spend your time is what is 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 what you're playing the most you're you're paying the most attention to. And one of the questions that people always ask me is how do I know what to spend my time on? And the question is would a customer pay you for the activity that you're doing? And if you ask that question, there's some things you wouldn't do. And because the reality is, is that if they wouldn't pay you, you're not adding value. You're not necessarily adding value. Now, you know, sometimes you can put in a new accounting system and that adds value, but you don't want, you want to spend most, you want to be customer centric from that standpoint. The other thing that I was always trying to do is to do what you do best and outsource the rest. Because what I tried to do is looked at what I could do the best, add value, the maximum amount of value and the rest of it, if there was somebody else that could do it better, I would have them do it. And the reality is when I start a business, you do you do everything. In the end of the business, I was doing nothing. <laughs> and so, but I was always trying to get our people to look at how they can add value to the overall, to the overall company. I, I love that. And it kind of goes into as well of making sure that you're constantly moving forward in the right direction and not just working for the sake of working, right? Yeah. So so the the other one that I love talking to is I I call it whack I call it whack management by whack-a-mole. You ever see those <laughs> those things where it pops up and you do this and you pop oh, yeah. up very and, reactionary. <laughs> well and, and the reality is is that are you running your business or is your business running you? A lot of people wait for the next uh, emergency to come up. And so one of the things that I'm big on is knowing the difference between motion and movement. And motion is when you run, you can run a marathon on a treadmill, but the scenery never changes. And you, but if you run it outside, you're going uphill, you're going downhill, you got the weather, you got the competitors, you know, you need to understand is, is that are you in motion and running in place? Or are you in movement? And I used to laugh. I used to, there was, plenty of people that in a large corporation, you'd see them and you'd say, what are these people doing? They seem <laughs> very busy, but they don't ever get anything done. And you always want to be conscious about not just activity, but you want to constantly move the business forward. Yeah. You know, one of my biggest issues was when I was a young entrepreneur was around focus. I constantly had dozens of ideas every week, a lot of them bad, some of them that I think were pretty good, but I wanted to just test all of them and try them all out and could never, never focus. And as I've grown as an entrepreneur, I've understood the value of focus and how to implement it, but that's really changed my, my life. <laughs> yeah. So, 
I think one of the issues in when you have your own company, it's a little bit like the kidney candy store. There's so many different options out there. There's so many different ideas. And one of the things that you have to do is decide what what you want to focus in on, because if you try to do everything, you end up doing nothing. So I had this mantra, which is total focus is no focus. If you try to do everything, you end up doing nothing. So what you need to do is focus on those things that are the most important that are going to help you that are going to help you move forward. It is really easy to say yes. And the reality is you have to know when to say no, because there's some things that are going to compete for your time or your resources and your money. And you have to sort of put those off. That doesn't mean you won't do them someday, but you need to do the most important things first. And you can't do everything. And so you need to focus on those things that are going to give you the biggest bang for the buck. You know, one of the most impactful things I've learned in a similar line is to actually write down what those priorities are. And then whenever something new comes in, I go look at my priorities and say, is this thing a priority that's going to move my business forward that I need to focus on? And if yes, to slot it in. And if no, politely decline. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Or, you know, find another employee if you have a team to move it on to that's part of their focus. Using having something written that's kind of set in stone to say, these are the things I'm going to work on. These are the things that I'm not going to work on helps you to filter versus trying to say, it's just, you know, maybe it'll take me 30 minutes. I'll just go ahead and do this to really stay focused on that. Yep. And then, you know, I think that's important one for yourself, but then also helping your team and the rest of your business and employees kind of know the plan and stay on task. So they understand what to do as well. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we talked a little bit about this before as far as adding value. And I I didn't really finish that story, but the the when when I used to ask myself, you know, what am I doing today to add value to Prairie City Bakery? But when I when my business really took off is when I asked my employees the same question. We'd have a Monday morning meeting and I'd say to them, What you know, not 10, not 15, what three things did you do last week to add value to Prairie City Bakery? And what three things did you are you going to do next week? Their mind shifted. They first of all, they said, wait a second, I'm supposed to be <laughs> responsible for adding value to the company. I thought that was only you. And I said, no, you you have to be responsible for adding value. I had people that came into my office. They said, Bill, I don't think I'm adding enough value to the company. Tell me what else I can do. Tell me what I'm going to do. That's right. The other thing that's magic about that question is you can also then tell when you're not aligned. If the person, I had one salesperson that said, oh, I flew to Boise, Idaho, and I called on this one unit chain, and I sold them our ooey gooey butter cake, and and I, and, you know, you want to encourage people, but at the same time, you know, I, it was, gave me an opportunity to, to sort of shift their focus and say, that's great, but at the same time, it's not going to move the needle from, from that standpoint, so you know, the other thing that I always tried to do is to make sure that you catch the employees do right, but you course correct on those issues that you you think that they need improvement on. And the thing is, is that employees need to know what their job responsibility is and also how they can add value. If you do that, it's magic. The, I think that's so key because a lot of times when you realize if you realize things aren't moving in the direction of your business, a lot of times it starts with you as the leader and not setting the right vision, expectations, and kind of strategy how you're going to get there. And then leading by that same example, because a lot of times then people say like, oh, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do, but some people feel embarrassed to say they don't know what they're right. supposed to work on. 
Yeah, and that's that's really the key. But you have to set clear expectations for the for the employees, and then you have to hold them accountable. And you also have to hold yourself accountable for you know you know what success looks like. So you know one of the things that I think that is is key is and and this is kind of uh, towards the end is you will make mistakes in your business and that's okay but you need to do things that are no nobody can be good at everything and you have to do things that are outside of your comfort zone and doing things that are outside the comfort zone doesn't mean that you're always going to be doing it but you're going to learn it and learn the process know enough so that you can explain it to somebody else and once you do that believe me that's where the magic caption happens if you make a mistake you know hopefully it's not a you know, huge monetary mistake. But if you make a mistake, fail forward, learn from it, always look to make it better. But the key is knowing what success looks like for you and knowing what success looks like for your employees. And if you know what success looks like, it's a lot easier to know where you're going and what it is that you're going to do. And Bill, you've built a 25 year overnight success. (laughs) Yeah. I was a, I used to joke I'm a 25 year overnight sensation. So, <laughs> so now what I now what I do is you know if I if I can help other entrepreneurs or or startups make their dream come true, then it'll all be worthwhile. So I'm I'm happy to talk to anybody about what their journey is, and and if I can help you out, I'm happy to do it. I I you know and my advice is worth exactly what you're going to pay for it. Nothing. <laughs> and I absolutely love that you give back to it because it's so genuine. Bill, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to chat with you? If they if they the best thing to do is to reach out at William J Skeens, William J S K E E N S at gmail.com. And usually if people, you can, you can link into me on LinkedIn or you can, you can go on the website. I mean, you can, you know, send me an email. Usually if you give me a couple of times a week in advance that you're able to talk, usually I can make one of those work and happy to help anybody out. Thanks so much, Bill. You're a real gem in this industry. I really appreciate you personally, all your help and that you give to other founders. I'll include your information in the show notes as well. So people can get in touch. Thanks so much for being on today. All right. Great, Jordan. Great to see you.